We're continuing in our study of trying to understand this conflict between Israel and uh, Palestinians. I, I hope you guys are getting uh, a sense that it's not really about this conflict. It's not really about um, isolating on the specifics of exactly what's taking place because uh, wars and histories of wars, especially with Israel, has literally been a, um, a continuous thread throughout history. And so very difficult for us to, um, to kind of see exactly what this uh, conflict might result in. It's, you know, is it pre-labor? Is it part of birth pangs? Um, it's definitely uh, keeps us in mind that the, the players are in place, Right. The pieces are, are strategically moving closer and closer as we know uh, where the end of this ends up, which is coming out of the Middle East, and Israel definitely has a part in it. So we, we, we always have our, our, our antennas up. But, but we continue to answer really the real question that's on our hearts and minds, which is, well, well how does it relate to me? How does it relate to my family? How does it relate to, to the church? And so, as we're studying this, uh, last week we talked about uh, this being part of the end of the age or, or kind of Jesus' uh, you know, declaration of that. And today we're going to look at the, the second part of Jesus' conversation with his disciples uh, for the end of the age. Now, a couple things first. Uh, one is, one of my concerns and one of the great difficulties that we have in understanding this topic, especially as separating the fact from the fiction. There's so much uh, fiction that's out there. Uh, there's been so many books, so many movies. Uh, there's been, you know, a lot of movies that have been done, you know, the Left Behind series, you know, that, you know, they, they lay it all out, right? And they put it in, you know, in front of you and well, there's, the problem is, how do you distinguish between the fact and the fiction? We've seen a lot, of, a lot of books. You know, the late great planet Earth predicted that uh, the second coming would happen in 1988. Well, he was a little off. Well-intended, um, but off. Jerry Falwell, you know, Liberty University, um, he predicted 1999. That's, you know, kind of everybody got the idea that we'd never reached... Uh, the year 2000, I, I guess Prince uh, followed Jerry Falwell, you know. But I mean, we have other people. Jack Van Impey, uh, he predicted 2012, and he's been a, a, a pretty popular author. But you probably don't know and aren't as familiar with uh, some other well-known uh, views or uh, proponents that, that would fall in line with believing in kind of this, this end times viewpoint uh, guy named Charles Taz Russell but you probably know him better uh, better as the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses um, the Seventh-day Adventists have a lot of uh, views on this Joseph Smith from you know the Mormons and very very unknown is uh, the Islamic view of of the end times and their eschatology and so what you have here is a, a history that we all have uh, 
of maybe having seen a movie or read a book or having been influenced by family and friends who, whether or not they're Christian or Seventh-day Adventist or Jehovah's Witness or, or Mormon, there's a lot of talk about the end times and how the pieces are supposed to be. And unfortunately, what that brings is a lot of confusion, right? A lot of confusion. So we want to be biblical. We want to make sure that we're on track with what Scripture says. And Scripture doesn't exactly lay it out for us in like that perfect already placed together puzzle. Instead, the puzzle's been kind of, you know, turned upside down, scrambled around. And, you know, we, we have kind of the pieces of the puzzle that are spread out through Scripture. And so last week we looked at really our best and only uh, consecutive timeline addressing this issue. This is the timeline given by Jesus. It's the timeline that's repeated in Mark 13. It's the timeline that's repeated in Luke 21. And it stays consistent in all three places, which gives us kind of the uh, appearance or understanding that, that this is a... Uh, a sequential timeline, but not necessarily, but, but it does look that way. We see that the disciples are asking Jesus to, to fill them in on what's going to happen uh, at the end of the age. And so this is a direct answer to that question to the disciples from Jesus. So that kind of gives us a, a, you know, a good framework for, for what's, what, what's the goal uh, that's being said here. And what we learned last week was, well, there's going to be birth pangs. There's going to be these birth pangs, uh, false teachers, the wars, the rumors of wars, uh, many famines, earthquakes, uh, lawlessness is going to be, be increased. Um, we're going to see believers love uh, grows cold, right? Grows cold. We see that laid out in, in Revelation and you know, the churches that are, that are addressed one by one, and, and, and so many of them lack. Then we see the, the, the great sign, which is the abomination of desolation. That's the, uh, you know, the desecration of the temple. We see this in, in Daniel 9.27. It's a sacrilegious um, event. The man of lawlessness is essentially going to desecrate the temple. Proclaim himself to be God. This is, we also see this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. This is a great sign, a great sign of the, the end of the age, the abomination of desolation. And what takes place um, immediately then is the seven years tribulation, followed by the, the coming of the Son of Man, the coming, the return, the magnificent return, the glorious return of Jesus, followed by a great trumpet with angels, uh, and the gathering of the elect. We also see that in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 specifically, we see what appears to be the great trumpet with the angels and the gathering of the elect together. Um, well, that gives us some, some questions, a lot of questions, in fact. And so before we get to uh, the three final remarks that Jesus uh, is going to give us about the end of the age and, and continuing in Matthew 24. 
Uh, I want to address some of the key questions that uh, are asked from, from last week. Um, and sometimes we, again, bring in our, either our presuppositions or, or other beliefs, and, and that's okay. That's good, and, and these are good things for us to, to be challenged with. But one of the things that we bring in that is, is uh, troubling is the presupposition of, I don't want to suffer. Um, I don't want to suffer. I definitely do not want to see my kids suffer. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see your children suffer. And, and so sometimes you, you want something so bad that you can't see anything else. And so that's one of the issues with, with the rapture coming before the tribulation is, well, we want that so bad. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who's not hoping for that? Who's not rooting for that? That we want to be taken out of this world before there would be any suffering, especially when we look at something like the rapture. The, the, the problem is we, we have some issues like that with this. We have, you know, first in Matthew 24 that we see, again, this timeline that shows that believers are going to be delivered to tribulation and Matthew 24, 9, and be killed and even be hated by nations on the account of Jesus, and many will fall away. Uh, and so that leads us to believe, well, it looks like there's going to be at least some, some believers that are enduring this hardship. But what about the question? So in Revelation 3.10, one of the reasons why we think, well, maybe that's not so. Maybe Maybe believers will be taken out beforehand because we see in Revelation 3.10, in one of the letters to the churches of Philadelphia, this statement, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And so that verse right there uh, has many to believe well. It looks like the hour of testing, uh, possibly being the tribulation. We believe that because of the placement of it being in Revelation, and that's what we're going to see in, in this book. That this church is going to be um, kept from it, kept from the the hour of, tr of, of testing. Now, part of the, the translation problem here is well, is this literal or is this a, a, a type? I mean, is this literally a letter written to a real church in Philadelphia? Well, these letters seem to be uh, starting Revelation 2 to Eph the Ephesians, Smyrna, Pergama, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I mean, these are all actual real churches. These are all actual real identifications of churches. They're also kind of generic types of churches. There are also kind of generic types of how we are. And so that makes it a little bit difficult for us to know exactly, well, is, is Revelation 3.10 talking to Philadelphia, talking to the church as a whole, or actually talking to me individually? Um, so we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful with assuming that, well, no, 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 that, that means I'm going to be kept from the hour of testing, especially when in Revelation 2.10, it says, well, um, 
don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation. 10 days, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So what we see here is, well, I, I, I've got to look at both of these. Either So either Philadelphia is, they're going to be kept from this, this um, tribulation, but Smyrna isn't. Um, and all the other churches aren't even mentioned, so, so we don't know. Um, what it leaves us with is, is unclarity. We, we don't know exactly, again, if this is specific to all believers, that all, I mean, we, nobody says that they like this idea that, that the letter written to Smyrna is reflective of all the believers, and all believers are going to be tested and go to tribulation. But yet they're real quick to jump to that same conclusion in the very next chapter. Well, <clears throat> what about the timeline of the rapture itself? What The timeline, because that's really the issue. There is going to be a rapture. Make no mistake about it. Scripture is very, very clear. There's going to be a gathering and a taking up of the saints. The question is, well, when? And so we see in First and Second Thessalonians, uh, again, a... Uh, a book or two books actually written to a real church. This is a real church. And we studied this not too long ago. And in this real church and the Thessalonian church is under severe persecution. And so the whole context of this book is directly addressing a specific church. Paul is writing to this church about their affliction, about their trial, about the persecution. And so throughout First and Second Thessalonians, we see Paul's answers to them. Once again, we also see um, a pointing towards the future, which, which makes it difficult to place a timeline and difficult to completely be able to... Uh, put a framework in that says well, the, we can guarantee that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation because of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Uh, in 1st Thessalonians 1.10 it says uh, that, we're to, that they're to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what we see here is a lot of people, well, you're having this discussion about the end times. And you say, well, we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. So what happens is you just parachute in to this one verse, boom, and land on 1 Thessalonians 1.10. It's like, well, wait a minute. Is, is that passage talking about uh, future tribulation? Or is this part of the introduction to 1 Thessalonians church? And Paul telling this church specifically that, that Jesus... Uh, who is raised from the dead is going to deliver them from the trials to come, not the, you'll notice it doesn't say tribulation, it says wrath. Um, so that's an indicator that it's probably not the tribulation, it's literally written to the Thessalonians. Um, we see again later on in 1 Thessalonians 5 9. Um, for God has not destined us. For wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we're we're kind of going back and forth here 
in in First Thessalonians, where the beginning of First Thessalonians five five one. Now as to the times and and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety and then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. And so again, we see here that it looks like we kind of see this combination of the Thessalonian church being encouraged, but also appointing to the future, but we still don't really see a clear timeline regarding the rapture itself. Uh, wrath is not equivalent to to rapture, especially in this case, because it's compared directly to salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. So, so this is more of like the eternal wrath, the wrath of hell being compared and contrast to obtaining salvation, not something comparing and contrasting to, to tri- tribulation or the, tri- the tribulation to be more specific. So we ask ourselves, well, what about this suffering thing? What about this suffering thing? This, 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 this is pretty severe in Revelation. This is what we're seeing as a lot of judgment. Uh, why would judgment be reserved for believers? Well, again, I said uh, in Revelation 2.10, well, some are going to be tested. Uh, Matthew 24.9, some are going to be killed and hated, m- meaning believers. Matthew 16.24, one of our anchor passages for life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's not just like a cute slogan or motto. Deny yourself, take up your cross. As believers, we might suffer. In fact, the history of Christianity has been filled with suffering. Just step outside the doors once, step outside of America. You'll see suffering all over the world today. There's great persecution. Always has been, always will be. Christians are, are, are not absolved from suffering. Um, but we are called, and in Luke 12, 4 through 9, to, to not fear those who can kill the body. We're, we're not called to be in fear of the flesh. Why? Well, because we, we believe in the eternal. We believe in, in heaven. Um, one of the things I want to encourage you with, or a couple verses actually, and again, we, we, we just don't know the exact timeline. And, and I feel really good about saying that. Why? Because Jesus says that. But, but we'll get back to that. But two very encouraging verses for me or passages. 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. So let's just assume we are going through the tribulation. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. God knows how to take care of his people. God knows how to rescue his people. How and how will he go about that? Well, we leave that to him. But even more encouraging is in Luke 21. And Luke 21 is the, the parallel passage to Matthew 24. And Luke 21, 18 says, Not a hair of your head 
will perish during this time. Well, that's interesting because if we're to assume that Christians do go through um, tribulation, the tribulation, then we can say, well, I, I know specifically the Lord has verses that says he's going to take care of us. I know that he says he can rescue us. And I know that in, in this context, this direct context, that not a hair of the head will, will perish from believers. What does that mean exactly? Um, we've seen plenty of examples of, of where the Lord has put his hand of protection on his people. Heck, we saw it with Cain. God put his hand of protection on Cain, a, a, a man who killed his brother. He did it with Israel in Egypt. He did it with Israel taking them out of Egypt. He did it with Israel in the land of Canaan. God has always had a protective hand on his people. And he does a better job of that than we could ever imagine. And, and so there's nothing to be terrified about, again, in Luke 29, directly related to, to, to this sequential series of the end times. Do not be terrified, the scriptures say. Well, I would be terrified if, if I read through tribulation and all the detail and just assume that every single aspect and piece of that, that my family was going to endure. I would be terrified unless there were some options or some things that would give me great comfort, would give me great hope. One of them could be a, a, a pre-rapture. One of them could be the Lord knows how to rescue. One of them can be he will prevent a hair of my head from being damaged, which is entirely in line with the totality of Scripture. Uh, we see this message consistently. Uh, another example or question or challenge is, well, the church isn't mentioned in the book of Revelation, so let's assume the church isn't there. I mean, that's just a massive jump, first of all. If, if that would be your position, an argument from silence, um, well, that, that's not exactly, again, laid out in stone, but it's also wrong. The church or what, what is the church? The church is the body of believers. Church isn't buildings, right? The church is believers. The church is saints. The church is Christians. Well, we see Christians throughout the book of Revelation. We see them in Revelation uh, 7.3. They're called bond servants. We see them in Revelation 12.10. They're called brethren. We see note of them in Revelation 13.8 being in the book of life. We see Revelation 14.12. The saints, I mean, they're really believers are throughout Revelation. And even more importantly and more excitingly, salvation happens throughout the book of Revelation. It, it is a magnificent book uh, full of, of, of joy and full of just excitement about people getting saved. You got two witnesses that are running, that are amazing. You know, they're like two Billy Grahams times a hundred, right? Then you got 144,000 uh, Jews that are going to be out, you know, um, you know, promoting the gospel as well. I mean, there's, this is going to be a time of salvation like we've never seen. Um, so Christians and believers are going to be 
in the, uh, the book of Revelation and throughout the end of the age. And then finally, the, the other challenges, and, and, and this is a challenge, is Second is Thessalonians 2, that there's going to be this, this removal of the restrainer, that there's a, a restraining spirit that's on the earth today preventing Satan from being unleashed. Make no doubt that there is a restraint on Satan. We, we've seen this in the book of Job where, where Satan literally has to go before God to ask permission right, to, to test Job. And so I would argue that first and foremost that the restrainer is the great restrainer, meaning God himself, the Almighty. But um, there's a view that, well, no, the restrainer is, because remember, we have this, this understanding. We studied this in, in when we looked at Romans 11, that there's a time of the Gentiles. And when the time of the Gentiles is over, um, and, and some people think that means the rapture, then the eight, then the, the Jews are going to be kind of put at the forefront, right? And the church being with the believers, being removed in rapture, means then that the Holy Spirit is removed because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Well, that's a lot of stuff, uh, quite frankly, and a lot of conjecture. That, that's, again, not, not gospel. You're not going to see a verse that literally lays that out. These are just uh, people who believe and are trying to put together the pieces, but those pieces aren't laid out like that. A restrainer does not say that it's the church. It doesn't say that it's Gentile believers. It doesn't say that even if the church and even if all the Gentiles believers left the face of the earth, that the Holy Spirit isn't here. Um, that's a big jump. And by the way, the great restrainer is the Lord God Almighty himself. And so my understanding of that is it's God who's just allowing Satan then to then take this next step. Look, there's eight different views of who the restrainer is from uh, prominent theologians. And you'll see them in, in commentaries. Some think it's just the Roman government. Some think it's the gospel stopping being preached. Uh, some think that Satan's bound and then unbound. Um, th there's just a, a lot of different views. So they, again, the answer there is we don't know. Well, those are some, some, some key questions, some key challenges. Why, and part of the reason why we have a different beliefs of what exactly is going to happen at the end and what exactly is the sequential timeline. Um, and so we, we have some questions. But here's the thing, kind of at the pinnacle of those questions, and maybe you, you get to a point where you're like, well, we just studied Matthew 24, and there's like literally this, this order that seems to lay it out very, very clearly. Um, I know from the totality of Scripture, I still have a lot of questions. So now what? Back to the book is the now what? And I love the first word here in Matthew 24, uh, verse 32, now. So now what? Well, now let's learn from a parable. So Jesus, which is a great marker for us. I always love when literally it's, it's uh, you know, Jesus having a conversation with somebody. But remember, we're looking at the, the Jesus's kind of final three remarks about the end of the age. Jesus' final three remarks. And there's going to be three things that we're going to see here. 
One, we're going to learn from the fig tree. We're going to learn from the fig tree parable. Two, be alert for the thief in the night. And then three, be a faithful slave. So these are Jesus' final three remarks regarding this issue. Uh, learn from the fig tree, be alert for the thief in the night, and then be a faithful slave. So the first remark, learn from the fig tree. What's, what's that? So, so Jesus, after laying out this timeline, says, okay, now. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days, which, you were, bef which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and were merry and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. So Jesus is giving more details to this, this end of the age uh, summary, this end of the age timeline. What he says is, that, okay, first thing I want you to do is I, I want you to think about this like, well, let me give you an illustration. And his illustration is a, a fig tree. And everybody in this region, in this area, would understand the growing of a fig tree. Okay, so it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a parable that they, they, they wouldn't know. And he says, look, when, when the branches become tender, and, and the leaves start sprouting, and, and summer is near, then get ready for the harvest, right? Then get ready. That, that's how you know. Well, what he's saying is, look, these things that I just laid out to you, the birth pangs, the abomination, the tribulation, those are the things that are like the, the, the leaves, so that you know, so that you're aware. And, and so this illustration is directly related to the previous verses in Matthew 24. Now, some people have interpreted this to mean that this is actually talking about the nation of Israel becoming a, a, a state again. Because it's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around this, but Israel wasn't in Israel for a long time. Uh, Israel has, was, was all over the world. And the, the nation or the statehood of Israel was actually occupied by other governments, other lands. First, it was the, the Turks in the Ottoman Empire in the land of, the, of, of Palestine. Then it was the British, right, in the early 1900s in the Palestinian land. Uh, never Palestine. It was never a Palestinian state. It was never a Palestinian nation. It was just like the area. It's, it's the area of Palestine, but run by the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, you know, the Turks, and then the, the Brits. Well, some people interpreted this as, well, 
the generation or the the state of Israel is 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 like the olive tree, or the fig tree. Sorry, um, and and so in 1948, when when Israel becomes a nation, then well, then that's kind of the the the, the tendering of you know of the, of the leaves and the and the summer is near. And then so this generation that sees the coming of Israel in 1948 is not going to pass before the end times events are going to take place. That was the conventional thinking. Um, well, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of interpret, well, how long is the generation? Uh, 40 years, 75 years, 100 years. Um, there's a lot of different interpretations. That was one of the reasons why there was, you know, predictions for like 1999 and that kind of a thing. The problem is that's a jump. I mean, that is a really big stretch here. Uh, nobody would come to this passage, and when I've, we've read this now twice, Livy read it earlier, I read it, I don't think anybody here immediately said, oh yeah, that's Israel. Um, no. In fact, it's directly talking about this passage, Matthew 24. It's a continuation of Jesus' conversation talking about the things that we're going to see. Right? And again, this here, here, here's a statement that you should just embed on your forehead. Verse 3, 6. But that day and hour, no one knows. That day, that hour, no one knows. That day, that hour, no one knows. And so why there are so many books and movies and things being written of a... No, I know the day and the hour. Where Jesus himself specifically, not even the angels, nor, nor me, is what Jesus says. The Son, only Father alone, has, has laid this out. And so he says, this generation, this generation that sees the fig leaves, the, the, the tenderness, the leaves, the summer, this generation was then going, will not pass away until these things take place. So we can... Take that context, say, this generation who sees the, the, the birth pangs, who sees the abomination, that's the generation that's not going to pass away, that sees the tribulation. That's the generation. When, when that happens, it, it's the, the clock is on. The seven-year time clock is on when, when the abomination of, of, of desolation takes place. Tick, 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 tick. That generation will not pass. For what? For the coming of the Son of Man. And so, again, Acts 1 7 says, it's not for you to know the times or the epics. It's just not for us to know. Uh, the way it's going to happen, I mean, you know, people are going to be working in the field, right? One's going to be taken up, one's not. That's the idea and the concept of the rapture. But then Jesus goes into another example. So, so you, you can kind of understand the, the dilemma here as they're sitting there and trying to, they're all sitting there just like us, trying to figure this all out. And so he gives a, a fig tree example. goes, okay, it, guys, it's like this. It's, it's like Noah. You know Noah built an ark for a hundred years? A hundred years. In the desert, a boat. And, and, and the scripture says he, he was an evangelist. He was telling them about God. He's building a boat, building a boat, building a boat. For what? Because there's going to be a flood. 
There's going to be a judgment. Get right. Get ready. There's only one way out of the flood, and that's through the doors through the ark. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. There's only one way, right? You, you, you got to follow God's way. That's the only way. And so here's the flood, and they've been watching Noah building this ark for a hundred years to the point where they just don't even care anymore. It's just well, whatever. Crazy Noah building his ark. And so they're marrying and giving a marriage. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it happens. Here's the point. Um, it's going to be like a, a, a thief in the night, right? Here's the point. You, you think you're going to be ready. You think you know. You think you got your timeline. You think you got your charts ready to go. It's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. I'm ready now. Like, I know. It, you're not going to know. You're going to be working in the yard. You're going to be grinding at the mill. You're going to be at a wedding ceremony, and it's going to happen out of nowhere. And we have to be okay with that. We have to understand that, that this is, like in the days of Noah, this is a supernatural event. It wasn't just like a, a rain shower. This, this was God intervening in the earth in a supernatural way. That's exactly what's going to take place at the end. And so, our second reminder, our second mark, is to be alert be alert. Why? Because it's going to be like the thief in the night. Verse 42. Therefore, so what do I do with this? Right? I always, I always picture, kind of close my eyes when I read this and picture, you know, like some guy in the back row is like, well, what do you want me to do with this? You know? And then the, here's the, the rhetorical answer. Well, therefore, so you know what you need to do? You know what your response is? Be on alert. I don't need to be on alert. What do I need to be on alert for? I mean, I, I mean, I just, the rapture is just going to take me before anything weird happens anyway. So be on alert for what? I mean, think about that for a second. There's a lot of detail about things and events that are going to be happening just before tribulation, during tribulation. And it begs the question, why would you tell uh, believers all these details if they're nowhere near it? I mean, I'm not going to lay out a whole laundry list of warnings and, and things for my kids. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen unless it's going to happen. And I need them prepared and ready for it to happen. And to what scale it's going to happen, again, we, we don't know exactly. But, but what does Jesus say? Be on alert. Okay, therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Why? Well, because nobody knows the hour and the day, right? He keeps saying this to us, but we don't want to listen. Be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure, be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert. And would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think he will come. Look, if, if Frank knew that, you know, a, a, a lot of bandits were going to come, you know, rip his house off tonight, 
I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Frank. That's all I know. That's all I'm going to say. I think Frank is going to be ready to handle his business, right? He's going to be ready. And Jim's probably going to be right next to him, you know, and, and, and because he's the head of the house. He, he's going to be prepared. And, and, that, and that, the context here is, is alert and ready. It's it, their military con, con, context. It's the idea of a, a vigilant watch. It, it, it's like it's like that that guard that's vigilantly watching, being on alert, wide open, right? Looking, watching. When? Well, until the Lord comes. As the head of the house, we're called to take leadership. Uh, in Luke 21, I, I've mentioned Luke 21 a couple times. It's the parallel passage to this. Uh, let, let me turn there for at least this section. Again, I, you, you guys got to go home and, and read Luke 21 and Mark 13. But, but Luke 21, verse 34 says this, Be on guard. This is the parallel to, the, to, to what we're reading. Be on guard. Take your heart. Uh, I'm sorry. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come on you suddenly like a trap. So be on guard so you're not walking into the bear trap, right? For it will come upon those who dwell on the face of the earth, but keep alert at all times. Doing what? Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So again, we see, look, be ready, be on guard, be alert. How? But, but be praying, right? Um, you don't have to be weighed down by the worries of life. What are we worried about? We're worried about the end. Right? Well, don't be worried about the end. Just be on guard. Be on guard how spiritually, I love the spiritual component here, by, by praying. Luke 20, 21, 14, just a few verses back says, look, um, well, Luke 24, 12 says, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. This is what's happening during tribulation. Look at this next verse. It will lead to an opportunity of your testimony. Persecution, suffering is an opportunity for our testimony. It's an opportunity for us to glorify God. It's an opportunity for us to talk about our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ, again, why? Because He knows how to rescue the godly. He knows how to take care of His people. Verse 14. I love this next statement. This is a statement that we all have to think about right now. Make up your minds. You need to make up your minds right now. Oh, that's pretty direct, right? That's not Tony. That's the Bible. Make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. What? I mean, the preppers do not like this verse. 
Oh, no, no, I got to have like three cabins full of food and guns and ammo and traps and all kinds of stuff because the end is near. The end is coming. What does Scripture say? You know, look, they're going to persecute you. They're going to lay hands on you, but it's going to lead to an opportunity for testimony. So make up your minds. Not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. This isn't a time for Christians to be at war. Verse 15, I love this. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist and refute. God is going to make us apologetics, right? He's going to make us evangelists. He's going to make us like, you know, Bible answer men and women. So that when things take place and things happen, it's not a battle of, of, of weaponry. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. But you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all on account of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. That's what we're getting ready for. That's what we're, we're prepared for all these different things to happen. And as the head of the household, we take that position of Joshua, Joshua 24, 15, right? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what everybody else is doing. For me and my household, we're going to be ready. We're going to be on alert. We're going to serve the Lord. And so we're just going to, put our heads down and, and keep to our task. And, and all of a sudden, when, you, when you're not even thinking about it at all, like a thief in the night, it's going to happen. Well, the third remark that we see here in Matthew 24 is be a faithful slave. Be a faithful slave. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave? whom his master put in charge of his house to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds some so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and shall begin to eat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. Jesus' kind of wrap-up of this is be a faithful slave. Now think about that for a second. We, we, again, we like to think that, you know, we're Americans, we're independent, we're free, right? We're, we're autonomous. No, you're a slave. You're, you're a bond servant of Christ. You, you have willingly put your ear to the post and said, I follow you. I'm your slave, Jesus. That's who we are. We're slaves. What does that mean? We're slaves. We're, we're followers, not leaders in this. We're the servants. We have duty. We have purpose. We have work. We have work to do. We're acting like we're in charge of the thing. 
We're acting like we're in control and we can navigate all this and, and figure it all out and be, you know, again, uh, you know, prepper, alert, and prepared. Jesus isn't asking us to do that. He's asking us to be ready spiritually at all times. We're constantly being turned back to, to being on alert and be ready. We're going to see that in Matthew 25 when the example of the, the, the 10 virgins and the parable of the talents. And again, it's the statement is be alert. Be alert. The evil slave isn't alert, right? The, the good slave who's, who's doing what the master called him to do. What, what are some of the things that the master has called us to do? And, you know, we've said this before, but again, in first and second Thessalonians and in, in a passage, it's talking about a, a, a church that is being persecuted. It's also a, a, a pointing towards us as believers and what's going to happen at the end. And, and what does the scripture remind the Thessalonians to do? What does the scripture remind us to do? What are we called to do as servants today? First Thessalonians 4.11, make this your ambition, your goals. To lead a quiet life, to lead a quiet life, to attend your own business, mind your own business, keep your own business in your beak in your own house, right? And work with your hands. Just be diligently at work doing what you're called to do. Unlike verse 48, the evil slave says in his heart, well, the Lord's not coming for a long time. Or, well... Jesus is going to come and just, you know, scoop us all up in, in one fell swoop anyway. What do I need to be ready for? I don't really need to be ready for that. I just need to be saved. I just need to be a, a believer. And, and I'm in. Let's stamp my card. Um, well, we need to be ready. We need to be ready spiritually. Our faith needs to be intact. And again, the gospel is not soft. Jesus is, is not gentle when it comes to this issue. Uh, the, the church is not a seeker-sensitive place. Why? Because death, eternal death, is, is on the line. Eternal death is on the line. We need to get right. Why? Because if you're not, you go to hell. Whoa. Uh, that's not Tony. Tony would say it more gentle. If, if you're not a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't get to spend eternity with him. Eternity with Jesus is in heaven. And there's another place, right? We don't, we don't want to say hell. Well, what would Jesus say? Jesus says a little bit different. Maybe you like his way better. And shall cut him into pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites. Weeping will be there and gnashing of teeth. How's that for sensitive and gentle? Hell is the place of the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. That, that's not in regret. It's not regret. Oh man, why didn't I make it to, to heaven? It's the grinding of your teeth. It's, it's the weeping. It's the agony of still saying, I will not follow you. No, never. It's not regret. It's not remorse. And so, Jesus says, be a faithful slave. 
You're not in charge. I am. The master will come when he comes. The master will do what he does. The master's timeline is the master's timeline. You just be ready. Just be ready. And so consider the focus then of Matthew 24. Consider the focus not being on the details of labor pains and birth pains and abominations and tribulation. The, the, the focus isn't on those details. The focus is on you being spiritually ready for when it happens. We get so caught up in arguing and debating theology and, you know, that, that we become legalistic. We get so caught up in debating and arguing that we're, we, we swirl into all kinds of different crazy beliefs, which is why Christianity has so many different denominations, right? What is it, 38 denominations within the Baptist church alone? How do you, how do you get there? Because you're so focused on thinking about minutia, arguing over uh, these details, and not focusing on the coming of the Lord and being ready for the coming of the Lord. Daddy's coming. The master's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's what he should worry about. Not worry about the details of Israel and the Palestinians. I mean, we, we hate the idea that people are, are dying on, on both sides, but this is all part of the end plan, the end results. And so, some quick conclusions, just some quick things. Again, we don't know when the rapture uh, is going to take place. We do have uh, what looks like to be a pretty sequential timeline in, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. The same timelines. doesn't seem like there's any reason why we should change this timeline. Um, we don't know the epics of the times. We're reminded of that over and over and over again. Um, just lead the quiet life, attend to your own business, and go back to work. First Thessalonians 4.10. Our indicators are not looking for things like the mark of the beast, right? That comes like way into the tribulation. That's not like the first thing. Um, so, you know, when all these different innovations come out, you know, we all start freaking out about credit cards or, you know, chips and whatever different things. And, and yes, those are all things that are going to be, you know, the precipice of what will lead to the mark, but it's not the mark. And it's certainly not anything we need to freak out about, you know, or, or worrying about Ezekiel 38 and Gog and Magog. That doesn't come till the, the end. That's not the beginning. Uh, and so Israel battles and all those things, those don't come until we see, until this generation sees other things first. Those are the things. And so, more importantly than waiting for all the crazy, we should actually be mostly concerned for peace. That should be our biggest concern, is that the man of lawlessness comes in peace. Be, be on alert for that if you need to have an indicator. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, we have to ask ourselves, who is our master? Who's our master? And are we ready?